to give everybody out there listening a very warm White Cat welcome because you're tuned in to the White Cat Outdoors podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's, the fourth episode of the White Cat Outdoors. We got a pretty packed house in here tonight. We got Luke sitting right over here to my right. How we doing, everybody? And Tommy's over to my left. Glad to be here, guys. Straight across from me, we got Nick. Hey, what's going on? And our first ever guest, we've, we've never had one on the podcast before, tonight's first night. It's uh, one of our good buddies. We've known him for a couple of years now. We do a lot of fishing stuff together. It's uh, Hunter Klobuchar. Hey, guys. Uh, happy to be on here. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for coming, buddy. We really appreciate you. So before we get into you know, anything crazy, um, I just got one question. For those of you that are just listening, uh, you can't see, but Hunter's rocking a pretty dope cast on that right arm. Looking yeah, pretty is. good. So what, what happened, buddy? Well, uh, I, you know, I just got back to Edinburgh, about to start the semester off, and I decided I was going to go out with a couple buddies, go out to the bar, have a drink, and we just get there, order a beer, and me and my buddy get this idea, we're going to do a little, little arm wrestling. So, you know, you know, we arm wrestle all the time, it's fun fun times, and we go to the back room, and we line up, and, and we do a little pull, and, and as soon as we lock arms and start going... It just sounded like someone snapped the table right in half, and I looked down at my arms just dangling. How loud was I? I was telling Tom after you did it, I was like, I've always wanted to be there when somebody does that because I've seen videos of it, and it looks ridiculous. Not to like laugh at you, but I've always wanted to see somebody do that. Like, what, what, what yeah. does it sound like? You know, this the sound is just like something you never hear before. It's it's something that's just like stuck in my head on repeat all the time. It's like that nasty of a sound, but it just sounds like you take a two by four and just break it over your knee and you look down and holy smokes, my arm's dangling and get oh. me to the hospital <laughs> ASAP. You know what I'm saying? I was, uh, I was sitting at home and uh, just getting ready to go to bed and me and Hunter had plans to go to breakfast the next morning and uh, we were going to plan a a Florida fishing trip together over breakfast and he called me at I don't know 11:30 said uh hey buddy I, I won't be at breakfast tomorrow morning and I was well, why what's going on he was like I, I just broke my arm arm wrestling and I was like well did you break it or tear something he's like nope snapped it and I was like all right well get off the phone with me and just worry about getting your arm better I had like the same experience he texted me I don't remember what we were talking about but he's like yeah i i just broke my arm i was like you literally broke it or you just messed it up he's like no it's straight up broke she's broken <laughs> was that when he sent the uh, x-ray picture to us because like we were talking a little bit about it and i get the picture of the x-ray and i was like oh boy that's 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 definitely broke yeah well he when we were talking about it i, I don't know if it was the night that it happened or the next day but i was like that's freaking wicked man and then he sent us the x-ray i was like Bleh. Yeah, it, it ain't pretty, that's that's for sure. You know, it's funny, the first thing I thought of was that I got to call Luke Sebleski and tell him, hey, you know what, I'm not going to be at breakfast tomorrow because my arm is dangling right Dude, now. I was laughing so hard. I was like, get off the phone. I didn't get even call any. You were the first like, person I called. Matter. I was like, just get better. First thing that was on your mind was planning fishing trips. Yep. <laughs> not even calling the mom of the paws. I said, I can't let Luke down tomorrow. He has to know. How, how did Mom and Pa react when you told him you broke an yeah, arm they wrestling? They just said, you know, sometimes you do stupid things and you should think before, you you know, you do those things. And here we are, I'm out. You know, I probably got six weeks recovery at least, and all my buddies are hunting, fishing, going steelheading, and I I can't even do anything. So it's just awful. It's, when, it's the worst thing. 
time that perfectly with your first week of class. You broke it on what a Saturday and had class on yeah. Monday. Saturday night and Monday morning, we're going to chemistry lab. So oh, it's still this week. That. that first week's pretty easy stuff. <laughs> and I'm right hand dominant to make everything better. So oh. yeah, I guess for the people, obviously, there's no camera. It is his right arm. So now you can just get some cute girl to write all your notes in class. <laughs> Yeah, any cute girls out there, you know, in Edinburgh University, I could use some help. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. So, anyway, I guess we'll get right into it now. So, um, I guess just give us kind of a rundown, like, what what gets you, like, into, like, where, where did you start fishing? Where are you from, first of all? Yeah, yeah why don't we start, you know, who you are, you know, where yeah, we can like, find you, maybe on Instagram or whatever. Kind of give us a rundown of who Hunter Klobuchar really is. Hunter Klobuchar. Well, I'm the son of Tim Klobuchar. <laughs> uh, we're from uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, about two hours south of uh, Edinburgh, where I go to school. And um, yeah, if you want to check me out on Instagram, it says Hunter underscore Klobuchar. Uh, you can check out some of my hunting, fishing posts there. But yeah, I got in the outdoors at honestly a really early age. Uh, my dad has been hunting ever since in high school. And by the time I was three years old, I was out there ice fishing with them. There's a picture of me catching fish with them out on the ice and four or five years old I'm out in the woods with them sitting at the bottom of the tree stand and freezing freezing my butt off you know but I just fell in love with it right then and there and ended up hunting a lot shooting guns fishing trout camp up in Ligonier Pennsylvania we'd go up there every year since I was just about that age as well and ended up getting really into the outdoors and taking my first deer when I was seven years old and since then I just started shooting bows and that was it for me I just all-time outdoorsman she's seven years old you got your first deer yes sir that's right all right we're back sorry about the technical difficulties here hunter you were talking here yeah i was just uh saying how when i was young i would go to all these states that had mentor programs i was like eight nine years old and would do a hunt in west virginia ohio indiana and just hunt all all my time was spent hunting and once pennsylvania adopted that program um, was really into it by then I was able to go out pretty much on my own behind the house we had some I think like 10 acres and ended up taking a couple bucks out a couple ladder stands out there I think I was like 12, 10 11 years old I grinded my first buck in and shot him with a compound bow back when diamond came out with that uh that youth model where you could shoot like 40k rage you know I don't know if you've ever seen this yeah I know what you're talking about yeah so uh, you know I've just been in the outdoors pretty much my whole life and then picked up fly fishing uh, when I was in high school around 15 years old and been obsessed with that really ever since and kind of chose to go to school up at Edinburgh because of steelhead fishing and uh, yeah so you actually uh, you started a fly fishing club at Edinburgh didn't you yeah yeah my freshman year uh, came up tried unlimited uh, I went actually to a Lancaster fly fishing show me and my be- one of my best buddies from high school we got into fly fishing together we just run around and we took a trip down to that uh that uh, fly fishing show and I ended up saving a flyer from Child Unlimited to start your own fly fishing club in college in case my college didn't have one got there turns out Edinburgh University didn't have one so uh, I called and you're got it all me, set up you're telling me that there's colleges out there without a fly fishing club I'm well, telling you there is probably a few out there that's actually crazy though for being this like this is like the capital for fly fishing for steelhead I'm actually kind of surprised that there's not so props to you for starting one yeah, I mean, come on now, like, world-class fishing, steelhead fishing. We didn't even have a fly fishing club, so we got that started up, and 
really got a lot of people on the university involved into fly fishing and the sport of the outdoors, which something just amazing. And the if you're listening, you know, you're going to go to college or your college doesn't have one, it's really easy to set up. It's the Trout Unlimited Five Rivers program. Um, it's just something really remarkable. It's like 100 plus colleges across the United States all network together. You meet up once a year and you just you fish. It's It's awesome. Yeah, that's a really awesome program. But like where you grew up around Pittsburgh, you said, do you, were you doing like mostly river fishing or like how many lakes are down around there? I've never really um, fished the area. So I I'm from know. like just outside of Pittsburgh, about 40 minutes suburban. Um, a lot of lakes around, but we had a cabin in Ligonier, Pennsylvania, which is pretty mountainous. It's right, you know, I think it's like south, east, of, no, west of the Laurel Highlands. And uh, we had a camp there and I just grew up going to my mom's camp in Ligonier, my dad's camp. And we just would fish four mile run, Loy Hannah, just trout fishing, you know, just awesome stuff. And then we'd hunt mountains up there and for deer and turkey. Best turkey hunt. My, it's my favorite to go up there, go turkey hunting. It's just awesome. You Did took you get, trips up here to Erie while you were still living down in Pittsburgh before you ever even came to Edinburgh, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. That's kind of how I knew about Edinburgh because I would come up uh, steelhead fishing with my dad and my old football coach. He was into steelhead fishing. He knew I liked fishing. He's like, hey, you know what? We got to take you up there and get your hands on a steelhead so I think I went up steelhead fishing in like seventh eighth grade and I was pretty young back then and fell in love with that ever since then while I was in high school we started going to New York once I'd take a week off of school we'd go salmon and brown trout fishing up there and that's really when it just like clicked for me I was like this stuff is just freaking awesome like can't beat this and we've we've taken a couple trips to New York together and just holding a 15 pound brown trout or a 18 to 20 pound king salmon like there's there's nothing like it you want to just i bet frank has some better (laughs) better fishing experiences (laughs) than us not really with fly fishing honestly because i mean i'm i I fly fish a little bit but i'm not like big into it like you and luke are yeah so like you never seen no those the salmon runs out in alaska while you're out there or anything i mean well i actually for a while a couple years i actually did commercial fishing i commercially fished the silver run for a few years and so i saw my fair share of salmon a couple salmon yeah yeah it was all netting it was there was no fly fishing it's still probably something incredible oh yeah it's insane you know to catch like our biggest day that we ever had it was like nineteen thousand pounds of silver salmon in one day so wow i've seen my share of fish just not off the end of a fly rod (laughs) so i'm pretty inexperienced when it comes to fly fishing especially for salmon that size do you want to give me a real rundown just like i just can't even imagine fighting a fish that size because like i've caught a couple steelhead and dude they just take that line just going i just can't even imagine so if you're going to target bigger fish species you know especially up in new york they're they're a lot bigger in that eight to fifteen pound range is like your average fish that you're going to pick up. So you definitely want something a little bit bigger if you're going to fly fish. Like I'd recommend no lighter than an eight weight. You can go up to a nine weight for kings. Um, eight weight's really good, a good broad size. If that way you can have a little back bend and really fight the fish out. I, I don't like to be able to horse them in, you know. But yeah. um, you want to be able to get them in quick enough so you don't tire them out too much because um, obviously they fight pretty hard and uh, you want to make sure you have a good release with them. Um, so don't go up there with too light a tackle. No. I mean, I've seen quite out. a few rods up there just completely break on somebody when they're fighting oh, yeah. King Simon. I mean, they'll take a couple hundred yards of line out just like that. And when you're in those rivers with all those people, it's just it's just crazy. But, um, yeah, eight-weight rod, you want to, you know, eight to ten-weight reel, good line, eight-weight line, lots of backing. And then um, depending on the water, read the water, you know, 
if you you can go down to six pound test, but you're probably gonna snap a lot of fish off. But sometimes it takes to go the whole way down to to get some bites. But I like to usually stick to eight or ten pound if I'm going for a king salmon. Run about twelve pound fluorocarbon egg patterns, streamers, and it depends what you're fishing for. But that's pretty much what I I like to use up there. Yeah, I got to get into that because I mean I'm all about getting out in the outdoors and stuff, and that's one place i haven't really gotten into like i did a little bit of steelhead fishing and you know luke and actually you too have turned me on to that and i love it it's just i i don't know something about a 15 pounder on a fly rod because i mean i have a blast watching them steelhead jumping out of the water and just going nuts i mean i love steelhead fishing in erie but anymore it's just like i'd rather be elsewhere especially going up to new york it's just it's just as crowded as the Erie anymore. I mean, the Erie's just packed full of people recently. It's like and opening day of trout. Yeah, but up there, it's just a bigger, it's bigger water. I mean, you can find some of those like sizes like Elk Creek up here, but I like to fish, you know, some of the bigger rivers up there. And uh, it's just so much water when you hook into a fish. It just, it, there's nothing like it. You know, you don't, you might not catch as many, but it's way, it's just awesome up there, you know. You, you've been pretty quiet, Tom. Uh, we've been yeah, talking Tommy a lot Cat. about, uh, steelhead fishing isn't that kind of how you and hunter met because you you two were the actually the first ones out of our group oh you know what actually be introduced to each other so yeah. why don't you tell us what that's all about so boy back when i was <laughs> in probably middle school i was steelhead fishing hard and with spin cast by the spin way. cast yeah middle school and high school i think i caught maybe three or four steelhead throughout that six or seven years and I was just about ready to give up on it. And I actually have another buddy named Hunter who was like, you got to come out here and you got to come steelhead fishing with me on a fly rod. I'll teach you how to fly fish. So I said, all right, fine, I'll give it a shot. I'm kind of over this whole steelhead fishing thing, but we'll see how it goes. I went out my first time fly fishing on steelhead. I think I brought seven or eight to my feet. It was unbelievable. I had a great time. And that was my freshman year of college. The year after that is when Hunter came, and he started up the fly fishing club at Edinburgh. I joined the fly fishing club. I didn't know Hunter real well until our spring break trip in March. We went to West Virginia and fished. We stayed in a cabin for a week, and we just there was a stream that ran right out back behind the cabin. We fished it for a whole week. They fished it. I drank a lot of beer. (laughs) I was literally just about to say that. I was about to say that it's vastly different than my spring breaks, but... (laughs) That was uh, the first fly fishing club trip right there. We assembled a crew down, and man, I think we went to a catch a lot. It was just plenty plenty enough fish where you could go back to the cabin. Well, first off, we had really cold weather. Were they native trout, or what were you catching? No, we fished uh, Harmon's, I think it's called Harmon's Luxury Lodge Cabins. And, you know, they gave us a deal being students and everything. And um, I think Fly Rod Chronicles runs out of there sometimes. And they it's a stock section. There's also, I think, wild fish there. And this water lake I haven't ever seen before. That, I mean, the rocks in there were just all, like, really smooth, big, oval, like, boulder-sized rocks just all through the river. And those it was just loaded up with trout. It was yeah. awesome. Up here where we're fishing, it's mostly shale and it's flat surface. I mean, it gets slippery, but down there it was unbelievably difficult trying to walk yeah, on you couldn't all get across boulders. that river i mean i fell several times in the few days that i was down there and it was it was challenging water to fish but we did catch a lot of fish we drank a lot of beer we had are you telling me that down there falling in the river was strictly because of how slippery the rocks were 
Yes. Now, if you fell in, it was all right. I think we had a hot tub up, up at the cabin. So you just and you guys were really there. roughing it, huh? Oh, it, it was pretty <laughs> awesome. It was a great trip. Big flat screen TV. Fireplace. your yeah. place, it was nice. Man, how, yeah. do you, how do you I'd live? How do you do it? It's tough, you know, roughing it for a week out there. But we we managed. Did you guys uh, eat any of the trout or steelhead you guys caught? Cook them up at camp? No, I don't think you can. It was all catch and release. Catch and release, okay. yeah. Yeah. But uh, Tom was a camp chef. He he did cook up the breakfast every morning. You know, now that you say that, I do remember seeing a picture of Tom standing there, thumbs up, with yep. his spatula in hand. He was he was looking pretty he's, tuned uh, in. He, he's on the original fly fishing uh, recruitment board, actually. We, right he's in still the brochure. Yep, he's on the brochure. <laughs> Face of Edinburgh. I'll tell you, we we roped in probably over over 30 different fly fishermen from the college and almost all of them commented on that picture of Tommy at spring break. I'm not sure if I was still drunk from the night before or if I had started drinking that morning, but it was probably about 9 o'clock in the morning when they took this picture of me making pancakes and eggs for breakfast. We'll have to uh, release that picture on our Instagram page so all you listeners can uh, view it. No, it's, it is a classic photo, I must say. We'll, we'll have to find it. But that trip right there, that's how me and Hunter really started our friendship. That's when, I mean, I, I knew who he was before that, but that's what really kind of solidified us hanging out, you know, after the fact. Yeah, and from there, we just started hunting, fishing, and, you know, we got a lot of good friendships out of the Fly Fishing Club, and we've done some pretty amazing trips, just, you know, most that most people haven't done in their lives, we have done in the past few years, just while we were in college, which is pretty crazy. The last uh, fly fishing trip that we went on, uh, we got a little Airbnb uh, out in New York, and we had, I don't, how many people do you think we had on that trip, like nine or so? And like nine or ten, I think we took Yeah, we there. had nine or ten, and uh, some of the people, I mean, never caught uh, big brown trout or anything that were on the trip, and um, I think everybody ended up catching fish that, that came up there. Yeah, we we went up and fished some rivers up there, and and it was actually we talked to a bunch of people in that area and uh, called some bait shops and everything. And fishing was slow, reports weren't looking too good, the weather wasn't good, and so we kind of debated on whether we should actually take the trip or not, or wait for another weekend. And we got together and decided, you know what, let's let's go for it. And it started out a little bit slow, and uh, one of our buddies, Alex called us and yeah big al uh maybe we'll get him on the podcast sometime <laughs> he actually uh he works for the uh fish commission doesn't he or he used to yeah fishing fishing boat down at one of the hatcheries I believe yeah so maybe we can get him on here but anyways he gave me a phone call and said hey dude you uh you catching anything i was like no it's pretty slow no one around me is catching anything haven't seen much of anything he's like well you got to come down here he's like i found a run and there's fish in here so i came up and he put me in a spot and I caught a fish, and I think it, it was, uh, I think we posted it on our page. It was a nice brown trout, probably yeah, about 12 nice pounds one. or so. And I was like, all right, well, I'll get out of here, and I'll let somebody else fish in this run. And uh, one of the girls on the trip, Cassie, she's actually my girlfriend. Uh, Ow! Yeah. Ooh. Met her on the trip, actually. I didn't know her until, until that trip, but uh, told she her She to, told me you, like, elbowed her in the mouth or something the first time you guys ever yeah. talked. You really gotta show a girl you like her sometimes. Hey, we it's gotta been get love Cass- ever Cassie since. But uh, I think she'll out. Yeah, she uh, Luke, you know? she was standing behind me, and I went to turn and didn't know she was there, and popped her right in the mouth with my elbow, and I started <laughs> freaking. I was like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry!" And she was like, "What?" 
And I was like, I just elbowed you in the face. She's like, yeah, like wasn't even that hard. So at that moment was like, you know what? She's a keeper. Did you tell no, her I think to, the, that's you need to stay out of your fishing spot? You know, maybe yeah. we weren't sitting so close. I wouldn't have to elbow I you. I think the moment Luke realized he's like, you know, I need to maybe date this girl is when Cassie caught one of the biggest brown trout oh, on the trip. That I think that was actually one of the that was a turning point for you. One of the you were funniest just like, points of that trip. Here we go. She, she she started the fishing trip and was a little upset at first, and her drifts weren't really coming out right, and uh, her bait was kind of floating up top, and she had a dry fly on, and so I I hooked her up with some uh, some new new bait and everything, and uh, put some weight on. And do you kinda, recall what you were using? Uh, yeah, we were actually using beads. So beads uh, and flies. Huh? Yep. Be- I think, be- I think Tyler beads and be- flies. Beads and flies. But Didn't Tyler have some skein up yeah, there? Yeah, Tyler too? was throwing live skein out there. But uh, okay, I gotta ask, what is skein? I, like I said, skein. I don't know anything so, about fly fishing. So. so when steelhead run, obviously they are running, and even kings and browns, all trout, when they run up the streams, um, it's to to spawn, to dump their eggs and milk and reproduce. So uh, steelhead, before they actually release their eggs, they have what's in their stomach called skein. And um, it's basically undeveloped eggs. It's kind of some pods of it's like pre- premature eggs, yeah. And it's still in like a in a membrane. So if you're keeping steelhead, uh, the females, you can uh, when you gut them to clean them and smoke them. Uh, actually, I've never heard of anyone eating steelhead any other way besides smoked. But um, you can take their skein sacks out and you can cure them or use fresh skein or do whatever you want. But people have a lot of success with skein. Mostly so, uh, if you're fly fishing, you ain't using skein. No, fly fishing, <laughs> that's spin casting. Spin casting, a lot of spin guys. Salmon love it. Browns love it. You but, catch a lot of fish on skein. But anyways, what a bead is, is it basically imitates an egg. So um, I put one of those on for Cassie and she was she was drifting. and She made you bait her hook for it? Ow. Um, she, we'll talk uh, about that when we get her on here. I uh, I had a little more experience in the area. Uh, she's she's more like native uh, native trout streams, real small, catching brookies and stuff. So she wasn't really used to the big water. So um, I kind of gave her a few pointers and everything, and she had a few takes right off the bat, and uh, just kind of missed the hook set on them or had it on for a second and popped off. But probably a- after about twenty minutes or so. She hooked into a real big fish and uh, set the hook on it and was kind of just holding a rod up. And I was like, you snagged? She's like, nah, I think so. And all of a sudden I saw her indicator swimming upstream and I was like, I, I don't think you're snagged. And uh, started started fighting the fish and everything. And she uh, she's never fought a fish that big before on a fly rod. So I kind of was talking her through it like hey let the fish run stop like don't don't reel don't reel don't reel hold your rod tip up and just kind of hee-hawed for 10-15 <laughs> minutes trying to teach her how to do this and um i'd grab the rod from her hand to get it around a tree or something that was crazy it, it started right taking there. us way down river so she was running behind I'd say a couple me and, hundred yards down i oh, was on yeah. the other side of the river when all oh, this yeah. was going down well, and, i'm sorry and, i missed what were you guys fishing for for this like on that we, trip uh, we, were we were fishing for steelhead atlantic yeah. kings browns they all okay so you had no idea you could get anything and all oh, of a yeah, sudden yeah, next thing yeah. you know you're yeah. heading 100 yards down you're running you're yeah, running. that's crazy you, you could catch a fish anywhere from three pounds to 20 what sort of like current were you in like was it tough to battle pretty with in the swift current? water um, i mean well i mean 
So it's a regulated area that we were fishing, and so they release water. So the current depends on how much water they're letting out. And at the time we were, it wasn't too bad, but you still had to be careful. I mean, we there were some holes that were maybe over 10 feet deep, so you got to yeah. you got to be careful where you're walking. But after about 15 or 20 minutes uh messing around trying to get this fish in and talking her through it and everything, she finally got it close enough to me that I could net it and it was just well, we'll post a picture on it, and Giant it's just brown, like phenomenal. just an insane, insane. Hey, I give you trap. props because you really, uh, you really gave her some good coaching tips, and gave you pretty much guided for a little bit there. And yeah, you, and I was on the other side of the river, and everyone over on our club. I mean, like Luke was saying, everyone just came in that run, and that's the thing about fishing. Everyone, just something about fly fishing and fishing in general, just the sportsman like just nature of everything you just say caught one everyone hops out next person gets in and man you guys were just housing fish on that side watching you do that your thing over there was just awesome and from making a bunch of trips up there i've got to know know some of the people that take trips up there even from all over the place that come up not just from my area but um so i've gotten their contact information and everything and talked to them hey how you guys doing this weekend anyone fishing new york and uh, everyone was saying it was slow and we were all posting pictures and there were people watching us just slam fish, but that's how it is. Sometimes you, you gotta be at the right place right at on the, the right, right time. Run. Yeah. And so we were the only ones really on the river catching fish, but we had a blast. Everyone cycled through. And once the last person caught a fish, we'd cycle back through. It was a good time. Another, another hell of a trip that was it was yeah. just awesome. <clears throat> like you said, I don't have many experiences fishing and stuff, but while we're talking about fishing and like on streams and you know crowded streams you know everybody's getting out and stuff where i was fishing with my dad one time we were opening day of trout down in uh, spartansburg area and there's a bunch of it's real big amish country out that way and we're out fishing i was with my dad and and his buddy and his son and uh we're out there fishing and my dad's the only one catching trout at this point it was opening day of trout i don't know if i said that or not but uh my dad's the only one catching Which opening day of trout is like a national holiday in Pennsylvania, it's ridiculous the amount of people that come out for it. So just throw that out there. Yeah, it's like shoulder to shoulder. So I look look over, and next thing you know, there's this guy, or not guy, little kid, like maybe four. I mean, he is like at my dad's hip, and my dad pulls this fish out. <laughs> this little kid looks up at my dad, and he says, you know, this is where I usually fish. <laughs> my, my, my dad's got this fish. He's the only one catching fish. And my dad says, okay, buddy, you know what? You can have it. You, this is your spot now. So my dad moved on, and this kid jumps right in and started fishing. I mean, it was just the funniest little thing. Just, you know, this is where I usually fish. <laughs> well, hold what are you doing? I was, was going to take a little smoke break. Frank, are we allowed to smoke in the house? Um, I guess we're going to have to make an exception here if we want a quick smoke break. All right, I guess we'll take a smoke break. All right, everybody, one quick smoke break, and we'll get back to it. All right, so what the smoke break is, we're going to do this periodically. It's not going to be an every episode thing, but we're going to do it from time to time. We're just going to kind of give everybody a rundown of a recipe. Like, you know, we're calling it the smoke break because most of them are going to be like smoking recipes, whether it's deer or fish, whatever it is. Um, So that's why we're giving it the smoke break name. So now that you all know what it is, be ready for that in future episodes. And uh, Luke is going to be the one to give us our smoke break today. So Luke, why don't you lay it on us? All right, guys. So, like Frank said, we're not gonna be releasing one every podcast. It's just gonna be kind of little uh, 
tips and tricks for you guys along the way. As uh, Tom mentioned in the first podcast about bringing a notepad to our podcast, this is one of those times you're going to want to write this down. In, in write pen, it in pen. Pen, Tom? Yeah. Absolutely. You're not going to want to erase this. So um, we're talking a lot about steelhead and fly fishing, and Hunter actually got me into uh, fly fishing for carp. And, boy, he taught me a best way to eat than <laughs> carp. So what you're going to want to do, everybody, make sure you're writing it down. You're going to want to uh, get a carp, keep it fresh, you know, live. Sometimes we uh, we cook it right right on site, right on water edge. And you're going to want to find uh, the nearest, nearest piece of pine that you got. And what you're going to want to do is uh, scale that carp and flay it up real nice and everything. And you're going to lay those slabs of carp right on that piece of pine you put any like butter or garlic oh, in absolutely that? not no these carp are they're oily and they're just the way you need oh, them perfectly seasoned it's it's like eating bacon you don't need anything else it's just the bacon so nice the, this carp is already seasoned so you lay it right down on this piece of pine and you're gonna you're gonna smoke it for about i don't know maybe about three hours or so and after the three hours it'll it'll be done and uh, where you're going to want to do is uh, throw the carp in the weeds and then eat the piece of pine because that's going to taste better than the carp anyways. Smoke break, everybody. I hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, we're Like I said, get, get used to it. Don't expect it every week, but it's going to happen from time to time. So that's how it is. So we'll just get right back into fly fishing. We're going to pass it over to Tom for a little bit of Alaska talk. So my freshman year of college, I went up to Alaska and fly fished on the Kenai River. We were up there um, the last week of July into the first week of August, and we really hit the sockeye salmon run hard. And I honestly couldn't tell you how many fish we caught. It was hundreds of fish we caught in the nine days we were up there. So if you were to like go in the woods, would you be able to find a stick to shake at it? No. You could not shake a stick at the number of fish we caught. It was every cast, if not every cast, every other cast, you were hooking into a sockeye salmon up there on the Kenai River. Yeah, that's a lot of fish. If I can't shake a stick at it, I know that's a lot of fish. I'm pretty good at shaking sticks, and that's impressive. Now, what do you, what do you use for them sockeye up there? So here's the deal. They come out of the ocean and come into the rivers to spawn. And when they, they're spawning, that's when they change colors. They get that real red and green phase to them, the sockeyes. And they're not interested in eating anything because they're, they're pretty much dying at that point. So they use a technique called flossing. Snagging is what most people would refer to it as. The locals call it flossing, so it's flossing. It's snagging flossing them in the mouth. Because you are intentionally snagging them in the mouth. And there's definitely an art to it. And these fish, they're on average probably 10 pounds. They get a little bit bigger than that. But most of the fish we were catching were like a... A big fat steelhead that you'd catch here in northwest Pennsylvania. Yeah, and you throw that into a three mile an hour current and you got yourself a party. Yeah, I didn't realize that there was dentists up in Alaska. <laughs> Thank <Are> you. you? <laughs> but Dents. especially if you floss one in the tail, they will take you into your backing faster than you can blink an eye. Tom, don't you normally floss your mouth? Yes, that's the goal. And that daily, right? Floss daily. Being a non-resident, to keep the fish, it has to be flossed in the mouth. If it is, I'll say it one time. Does that prevent is, cavities? Or If it is snagged anywhere besides the mouth, you're not allowed to keep it being a non-resident. I'd just tell the game commissioner, you know, I've. it happens, you're reeling a fish sideways, but i just tell him that he ate no, it. No, it's so never good. happened. Please explain. 
I just say he ate it so good it came out his back end, and that's why I'm reeling him in sideways. So I, I'd try that on the game commission. I've heard Alaska game commission is pretty lenient on game laws. They usually don't enforce them too carefully. Actually, it's quite the opposite. <laughs> They'll sit on the mountains with binoculars and watch you. And if you do anything wrong, they'll march their happy little ass right down to you and give you a nice fat fine. So you got to be very cautious. Is of that a P-H-A-T fat? P-H-A-T-T. Oh, two T. Yeah. Wow, that is fat. It's getting wild. That must be a big fine. So anyways, the whole flossing technique. What we would do is we have about, I'd say, an eight-foot leader. And we were using 80-pound test for our leader because you're fishing in a three-mile-an-hour current, and sometimes you do accidentally floss them in the tail, and they take off like a bat out of hell, and they're up the stream faster than you can imagine. So you kind of got to horse them back in. So that's why we used 80-pound. But so from the end of your fly line, about six feet down, we put a big old weight that would drop right down to the bottom. This sounds a lot, a lot like snagging. This it's sounds flossing. like flossing. Like Thank you, Hunter. Top flossing, baby. It is. It's flossing. This is like a five-star dentist right here. This rig, like, come on now. So, from your weight, and you have about another two to three feet of 80-pound test, and you got your big old fly. We were using these big pink sockeye flies is what they called them, probably because you just snagged they, sockeyes. With they them. had about a three-ounce head on them. No, no, all your weight came from the sinker. You didn't need a big three-ounce head. <laughs> you, you'd want your fly to actually float up a little bit so just the a, line... Just a hair. So, so you don't think you... gets caught in their mouth. You don't think you had any fish hit that out of aggression? Or do you think you flossed them all? I'd say about 95% you do floss. But there was some where... So basically how this tactic works is you're going to want to cast upstream, let it drift down, and once it gets past you you set the hook really hard <laughs> whether there's a fish on or not whether or not there's a fish on see that's why you really kind of it leads you to believe it might be snagging no but so how it works out is i do want to just before we get any farther i do want to say this is the legal way to do this in alaska where absolutely it, yeah just because we're making fun of it doesn't mean it's illegal it is 100 percent legal to do this yeah, this is the if you floss the teeth in their mouth not in their tail fin. starting at the molar work towards the canine yes but no so you cast out you drift down and that leader is going to be you know running right just a few inches off the bottom and that's where all the fish are hanging out and that two to three foot leader is going to get caught up in the fish's mouth as they're sitting down there on the bottom open and closing and when you set the hook real hard it's gonna you know catch right in the side of their mouth and how how did you learn this technique like because i know we joke with you a little bit but there seriously is some skill involved here and um is this something you learned online or did you know somebody who's done this before or how, how did you go because you didn't just go to alaska find this spot and start catching fish because no, that's not so, that's not how we do it here so i mean when we first went to Alaska, it was me, my other buddy Hunter, not the one that's on the podcast with us tonight, and my friend Paul that I've been friends with since I was four years old. We all went up together, and when the first day we were there, we spent all day trying to catch these fish. And now they're bright red, so you can clearly see them in the water. And we were just trying to catch them like we would catch steelhead here. And 
it wasn't working. We were watching everybody else pulling in fish and we couldn't catch anything. So we went to a bait shop later that day and they told us this flossing technique. And the natives were probably all watching you like, look at these stupid ass white people trying to catch these fish. <laughs> I, I'm sure that's exactly what they were thinking because they were bringing them in by the dozens and we weren't catching crap. Do they recommend like Crest or Oral-B or any dentine? Yeah. Sensodyne? No. Yeah, what what brand of floss were you using? The eighty pound floss line. Is it that flat stuff when your teeth are really close together? Or are they pretty spaced out on a salmon? I think salmon teeth are pretty well spaced out. You could probably get away with the round stock floss rather than the flat dentine. Okay. Just for anybody that hasn't been to Alaska, before you go, plenty of round floss. You don't need the dentine flat stuff for the tight teeth. And no, for, we're not actually using floss, though. It's actually yep. just 80-pound fish. I'm glad you cleared that up. I was, was going to say, so the people who maybe aren't as into steelhead fish or anything, don't get confused. It is fishing line, but we're just making fun of Tom for the technique called flossing. We like to we like They're to just upset around. because they've never fished Alaska before. and they're just, Not true. 100% not true. I have fished Alaska more yeah, times Frank's than you. fished Alaska, but he's not really piping in too much. It's mostly just Nick and Luke. And they've never fished it, so they I'm, don't know what the hell they're talking about. I'm not piping in because everyone makes fun of me for apparently flossing in New York and in Erie, which sometimes you foul hook a fish, and as soon as that happens, you know, your buddies are like, oh, you flossed them, oh, you flossed that fish. So I can't help it that, you know, I'm catching fish. And I, I've had not. that where people get a little bitter with you because you are catching fish because maybe the other people don't know what the hell they're doing. And you do, but they they'll start agging you on. It's just it's kind of like a joke among fishermen that that you're flossing them, and like like we were saying earlier, that's not a legal way to catch them around where we are in Pennsylvania, but in Alaska, that is the legal technique for catching them. But they're they're anybody can snag a fish right in the side, but it it honestly does take some skill to be able to snag a hook or snag a fish perfectly right in the side of the mouth. But anyway, before I got, actually, I don't even know where. So uh, let's, we'll you, go to you, here. I, I got, you were at the bait store and they told you that everyone was flossing because you weren't catching anything. Right. So the guys at the bait store, they basically, you know, gave us the rundown of what setup we needed to use. That's when we got our big sockeye rigs and our 80 pound test with our big eighth ounce sinker and from that day on we were just crushing sockeyes the whole entire week we were down there and we did keep some cooked them on the grill we actually we kept some pink salmon and if you talk to the locals um they'll tell you they won't even feed them to their dogs because they're that gross that's how they got the nickname dog salmon but um one night we got all hooched up and we decided we were going to cook these pink salmon and eat them on the grill (laughs) and i tell you what that night they were the best damn fish i ever had this was after about nine or ten beers. Did you visit the Bush Club that night too, Tom? No, we did not go to the Alaskan Bush Company. So it was I, 21 and over bar. I got to ask. So you're saying you went to the bait shop and they were telling you about this flossing and everything. So is it like a dentist office? Do you get your toothbrush, <laughs> toothpaste, and your, and your floss? Is it like that or not quite? No, there's uh, no toothpaste involved, no toothbrush involved. Basically, it's a metaphor, if you will. There is actually no connection to teeth or dentists in the this method. The only connection 
is that's crazy. See, I don't know so, much about fishing, so so it's crazy now that you. That it doesn't it have way. anything to do with the dentine floss. The eighty. I totally pa- get it. The eighty pound fishing line. I feel like that's Think a little it, little much. Don't Tom, you think? I've I've caught <laughs> sharks in Florida. Eighty and pounds. I use uh, eighty pound braid. So we're using the same pound tests, and I'm catching four foot black tips, and you're catching thirty inch. Uh, we are salmon. not the same. <laughs> no, here's the deal. So you catch. Have you ever? I'm sure you've caught a steelhead by the tail, haven't you? He was pointing at Hunter. Yeah, uh, Hunter. Yeah, they can't see you. And we've all yeah. done it. It's, it's, it's happened, especially in New York when you're swinging. You, there's so many salmon out there. You just oh, you're doing you can't a, help. It's just you're happens. doing a twenty thirty yard drift in three mile an hour current, and it's deep and muddy, and there's hundreds of fish in front of you. It's bound to happen. For it, those out, for those of you out there that are listening and don't do a lot of steelhead fishing, three mile an hour current. That's that's a stiff current. That that's a lot of water moving. She's pretty stiff. Just the old wives' tail go. You know the same. You know with a tiger. When you catch them by the tail, if if this fish does holler, do you let them go or how does that go? <laughs> I think you let them go. Nick, uh, that. Can, can you say the whole saying for us in case no one caught that? What do you mean? <laughs> That's just what it was. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo, baby. That's what we're talking about here. I think everybody. It, it's not the by show. the tail. I'm pretty sure it's by the toe. And I don't think fish have toes. Let, let's say that let's say the old rhyme the because I've said it since I was book. about five it's years old. Mini mo catch a tiger by the toe. It was toe. So if he hollers, <laughs> let him go. So with steelhead, See, fi- is it the tail? In fact, fish that you don't have really to have toes, so we're gonna go with a tail. Well, technically, they do walk with their tail. So <laughs> hey, some fish can walk out of water. Snakehead. Snakehead. There Whoa. you go. Anyway, so, jinx. You owe me a pop. Double jinx. Anyway. Back to why I have 80-pound test. Yeah, what's here? If you hook... Okay, so these holes were fishing. Tom, can you just tell us why you have 80-pound test? We're yeah. dying to know. These holes were fishing. They're probably 12 feet deep. And the river is... It's not like these rivers these guys fish back here in Pennsylvania where you can... Tom, you're from un- Pennsylvania and you fish around here. You're talking you like you're an Alaskan native. Underhand throw a stone to the other side. These are These are big rivers with rapids that... This is an overhand toss is what we're talking here. No overhand overhand toss with a running start. How many hops? Coming from a a professional college baseball player like Tom, probably no hops. But your average guy, probably two, three. baseball, baby. Club baseball. Check us out on Twitter, Borough Baseball. But so these are big rivers that we're fishing. And if you hook into one of these 10-pound sock guys in the tail, it is going to take you down to your backing faster than you can blink an eye it's going to be up that river and gone so the trick is you're going to want to they call it a death grip you're just going to grab your reel as hard as you can and grab about you know two or three feet up from your reel and pinch the line to your rod and just pull backwards and it's just going to pull the tail or the hook right out of the fish's tail that way because you're never going to reel that fish in so you just pull it right out. Fish that, goes on, none the wiser. You get your hook and sinker back without snapping your line. If you're using a 15-pound test, you're probably going to snap your line every other cast doing that. 
So the 80 pound isn't for the normally caught fish. It's for the the quote unquote snagged fish. The t- the tiger. The it's the tiger fish. Salmon. Unproperly flossed fish. Yeah, because I've like like we said, we're we're from Erie, Pennsylvania, and we catch a a lot of steelhead. And a lot of times, like we're talking, you need light lines so they don't see it. But a lot of t- I've caught fish that had four or five uh, different flies stuck in them, and Seriously, when you're picking up fish, be careful you don't get a hook in your hand or something and get infected, but take the hooks out of the fish. Um, Look out. Yep, I've, I've gotten grief before um, because I've I've snagged fish accidentally, and um, I still reel them in and try and get them in quick if I can just so I can get that hook and line off of them so they're not swimming around with a with a hook in their back and five feet of line because steelhead do spawn continuous years, so... They're gonna. They're not just coming up there and dying. They're actually gonna spawn and then swim back out to the lake for another year. So if you can get that hook out of them, and it's actually gonna help them out quite a bit. But another thing about Alaska is when I was up there, it was the most beautiful country I have ever visited. It was unbelievable. The water was crystal blue, and just. It was so refreshing. Everything about it was just a phenomenal experience. But when I got back, there was just like, I don't know how to describe it, that the air smelled different from up there in Alaska. It was just a lot less fresh. I mean, Alaska, it's, they call it the last frontier, and I understand that from a personal level now being there. It's just so clean and everything. And back home in Pennsylvania, that's not exactly the case with all the pollution and everything and we do tend to see a lot of trash and stuff on the sides of the bank where up in Alaska we didn't see that it was all clean and fresh water everything was pristine but uh, our buddy Hunter here has something to kind of try and counteract that pollution and garbage you see on the sides of the rivers here in Pennsylvania so Hunter why don't you tell us a little bit about this yeah so uh through our fly fishing college program, I went on this trip across Pennsylvania, three weeks camping, fishing every watershed, and me and my business partner, uh, we realized that there's this plastic pollution in the most remote places, polluting these wild brook trout streams, and especially when we go back to Erie, Pennsylvania, and started walking the shorelines of Erie, and uh, fishing, you know, really starting to pay attention when we're fishing out on Elk Creek and some of these other tributaries. Uh, we just see plastic pollution just polluting all of our waterways. It not to, This doesn't have to do with fishing, but Nick and I were in Ohio last week, and the public land that we were hunting, you know, the one spot we were at was 10,000 acres of public land, and literally everywhere we went, there was just bottles and cans trash. and trash it's, yeah, everywhere. You, you literally, we, I walked out. I, anytime I go public land, even snake hunting, I mean, that's even way off topic here but i try and i carry out what i can but i mean it's crazy how much like it's tough to really you can only do so much to help it i mean the biggest thing you can do to help is not pollute yeah pick it up when you can and it's not not just polluting the fish like you were saying i mean that's lake erie is polluted and that's our biggest source of drinking water here in pennsylvania that's right 22 million pounds i think each year uh the great lakes receive and that's just right in our backyard so uh, yeah, to go off of that, um, we realize there's a, a major problem at hand. We're really seeing this impact, especially on our oceans. And um, me and my partner, we had this idea to start an environmental cleanup company to uh, uh, combat this uh, this problem. And um, 
so yeah we came up with an idea we, we submitted it to a business startup program and uh we, we've been uh, going through the motions of being an entrepreneur, starting a business. and What's your business uh, called, Hunter? Uh, it's called Fish Gods, LLC. Um, be on the look for us here in the upcoming months. I'd say in the next three months, we should be going public and launching our website. And the amount of, su- the amount of support we've got about our idea and a cleanup company to, to combat this problem for our freshwater systems has just been incredible from our university, uh, the business startup program that we went through. And we actually uh, won that. It was out of... Erie, Pennsylvania, called Ben Franklin Technology uh, Partners, and we we did a business pitch, kind of like Shark Tank. We won five thousand dollars. I'm sure you could you could look it up, check it out online. Um, yeah, so we designed this company, we created this company. We're designing products and solutions, and we're unifying uh, members of the outdoor community uh, to get behind this movement and really start cleaning up our waterways. If that's just like an awesome concept in general, not just for like the waterways, because like I said, with Ohio and it's the same everywhere, that's a concept that everybody can get behind. It's not just fishermen. It's not just people that like to hunt. You know, everyone can get behind something like that. Yeah, you it's, know, it's every everybody in the outdoors. Like, how could you not support yeah. cleaning up the beautiful, like the public land? Because, I mean, any stream you're on is technically public land, but all of the woods and everything. Woods, I mean, there's endless trails, amounts of property that outdoorsmen enjoy and how could you not get behind cleaning it up does anybody know like the number of um hunters or fishermen that there are in pennsylvania well i think this is i mean i'm totally i thought i saw this number seven hundred and fifty thousand. which okay. sounds about thought. right is, is that no. hunters or fishermen are combined that's like purchased hunting licenses okay yeah. because in like they said you don't said, quote me on yeah, that but like i you for said some even, reason feel like that number is legit. but even if you we don't even know a number and you just think how many hunters you know personally or you see hunters out in pennsylvania just i mean there's so many hunters and fishermen and um we, we've heard counter arguments and i've talked to hunter about it like um because you're always gonna have critics about well why is someone gonna help clean it up and it's we're we're talking to all the hunters and fishermen here. That's a huge population of people that enjoy the outdoors that want to keep it clean. It's not even just hunters and fishers. I went to college down in Williamsport and there was a lot of guys that didn't do anything when it came to hunting and fishing, but just loved hiking. And they were the same way. I, our backpacks so, so, were filled with water bottles and candy wrappers by the end of our trips because I'm I'm a big proponent. I hate seeing litter on this property because like I mm-hmm. I love public land and enjoying it for what it is and it just it pisses me off to see like trash like in a place where I feel like I'm the first person to step foot there. Yep. So I always pick up trash when I can. Once you start looking for it and you like you said you think you would be the first person to take step foot in this woods or this mountainside start looking around and you'll soon see plastic and garbage pollution. It's sickening. It's just crazy. But I mean that's a huge movement you're talking about here like with how many people you have following behind you and everything that are supporting you like that's congrats. Yeah thanks. You know it's a lot of hard work and should be launching here in the next few months and be on the look for that you know but start take part now when you're out in the outdoors start cleaning up when you see the the pollution but yeah you know just it's been a crazy ride so far and you know it's just it's a lot starting your own business and everything but we hope to make uh have greater good in this world by creating this company yeah no we definitely know what you mean like when you say it's a lot of hard work to get a business started because we've just been getting into the whole white cat outdoors thing getting all our paperwork done and it's a lot of work and i'm sure 
you know, with your business, it's a lot more, I don't want to say it's more important or anything than what anybody else does, but it's, it's so pretty much damn more important. Reward. I'm yeah, just going to say it. It's, yeah, it's important. You're talking picking up litter and getting, cleaning the place up. I mean, I remember just when I was younger and I fished with my grandpa for years and he used to tell me when he was a kid, like my age, they could see the bottom of the lake fishing 70 foot for perch. And that's not a thing anymore. And it's not just, that's not dirt. It's literally just pollution. And Lake Erie was almost considered a dead lake at one point because of all the pollution. Right. Yeah. It's just, so. And it's I, not, it's not just uh, affecting the wildlife and the, the animals and the fish. It's affecting everyone who's listening to this podcast right now and everyone who's not. I mean, like we were saying earlier, all of our drinking water and everything comes right out of the lake. And where do you think your trash goes that you throw in the ditch? It's runoff. All watersheds lead to the lake or to the ocean or something somehow. So even if no one's even been there before, the waterways and just the way the earth works could carry trash to places where someone has never been. The worst part about it is uh, microplastics and how these plastics are breaking down. And there's a lot of research going into that right now. It's really creating the next wave of jobs in the scientific community. But yeah, the water you drink, it's not really being treated for these microplastics. I think it's like two out of every three fish um, eat these microplastics somewhere in the food chain because it mimics their uh, food source from smaller fish to bigger fish. And, and that's in the food you eat and the, the, and drink, you're the water you're drinking. Fish, so. Yeah, so, and who knows what the health effects are going to be with uh, microplastics in your system. And yep. I mean, pr- plastics have only been around for, I don't know, so long when uh, the, the technology got invented. I mean, it's really changed our, our way of living, but if we could start going to like single-use plastic. Which you know. um, I actually noticed um, a local grocery store around <coughs> where we're from, it's called Wegmans. They're actually going to no plastic bags. Right. Um, they're only going to be using reusable BYOB, bags. bring your own bags. Bring yep. your own bags, baby. And um, I know a lot of restaurants are going what they call topless. When you give them a drink, there is no straw. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> There is no straw or lid because you don't need it. And even it. the places that do, like Wegman started, they have no plastic straws. They're all paper straws. So right. it's all it's all about eliminating this uh, single-use plastic. I mean, plastic's good. We, I couldn't imagine some of the some of the things that we use every day. We use it for, but it doesn't mean you have to throw it away after using yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, like you can wash it. I mean, it, it it pretty much stays in the environment for hundreds of years. Single-use some of, plastic I mean, even styrofoam. Literally, there yep. it's like indefinitely. They don't know how long it takes to break down. It's yep. like it's and just crazy to just leave the stuff out there. So it's right. it's like I said, I can't. So even uh, fathom even like if, how cool it is that like you're starting this business to help clean up the environment and make it easy for people to do it right i just want to you know for all of us make sure like whenever i'm like you know 70 80 years old and my kids and the kids before you know after that have you know a place they can go fish and hunt and hike and camp but it's just as wild as i've seen it and we're seeing uh like our environment, it's it's so impacted from years and years of uh, human use, and and in Alaska right now, I mean, I mean it's the last frontier, but we're seeing a lot of impacts everywhere. And we yeah, might with have, you have saying that, that um, in our moose camp this year, because you know I uh, I work for Alaska Lead Outfitters, um, the moose camp that we had on the Mulchatna River, we got up there, and it was you know it's on the side of a river, it's you know. 150 miles from anything you know and the camp that we got to it used to be an old campsite that 
an outfitter used before us and it was disgusting like there was just trash everywhere there was old mountain house bags there was plastic cups there was old there was an old stove there it's just there even what like we were saying even when you think you're the first person to ever set foot on this ground you can still find pollution and trash and signs of other people being there yeah, it's, it's truly disgusting really i mean people need to start cleaning up after themselves and right now is going to be the best time because if we don't change anything it's just going to get worse and harder to clean it up so because like you said it's been years and years of neglect that the earth has had and the sooner we take action to it the sooner we can help this problem and i think that's it's so important and most outdoorsmen you know just practice conservation and just really take care of our our resources and the places that we love to go and use each and every day hunt fish hike camp etc you know we just want that to be around for as long as it can be and we want it to stay as wild as it can be and you know we have to we have to live our everyday lives but we also have to protect you know the woods and and the earth that we go and roam and hunt and fish every day and we get that yeah there is going to be some one-use plastic items that sometimes are going to be a almost near necessity in life um plastic water bottles and you can use reusable ones and uh, little plastic Ziploc bags for lunch and everything. Like, there's still going to be a lot of items. They, they make reusable yep, Ziplocs that, now. That's like, what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, either reuse your Ziploc bags or get a reusable water bottle. Or it, at the very least, if you got to use um, a one-use product, um, try and recycle it. Um, that's probably your best bet with it rather than throwing it in the trash. If you yeah. can at least do that, that helps to some degree. I mean, for the, the older listeners out there, they might think this is a bunch of hoopla and everything, but... I mean, the facts are there. I mean, we've been on this earth for how long? And, I mean, every day you have to imagine we're, we're putting some kind of impact in there. That maybe it's not plastic pollution, but it, it's overkilling a certain amount of moose or something. We just have to make sure that, you know, we're really taking value in the animals that we take each and every day. And just we, we look use at those the, resources. Just look at the endangered species list. I mean, since since the we've been around, I mean, that list has gotten bigger and bigger yep. and bigger. I mean, so well, and it fluctuates too. I mean, there was a time when whitetail were as populated as whitetail are in Pennsylvania. Now there was a time when they were like almost wiped out. Most of the whitetail yep. that are in Pennsylvania are actually an ancestor from the Midwest. That's, that's crazy. Thing, that's like you know. the elk down by Benazette in Elk County. Actually, my girlfriend's from that area, and there used to not be any elk in that area, and uh, they imported them, and they got herds now in central southern. Uh, Eastern PA that have thousands of elk. So, I mean, the conservationists are doing what they can to keep uh, the natural animals in the areas and everything, but we got to do our part to keep it as natural as possible so like Hunter not, said stay keep it as wild as possible yeah, I, so I really yeah, like that the way you I, like, I really like that I mean, keep it wild I mean we all you know just when you take a take a life of an animal I mean we're using that meat to you know feed our families feed ourselves and it's just like crazy fish you know elk whatever it might be but at the end of the day that's still a wild animal and we should just really respect respect it for their I mean that's their that. home basically that you're yep. polluting so I mean even though I mean you're taking them for I mean, it's conservation. You can't not harvest any animals, or it would become overpopulated. But uh, right, you got to respect their woods and share it. Yeah, you you wouldn't want somebody coming into your house and throwing garbage on the floor and everything. And if you think about it, 
that's like you said, Nick, that's all the animals. I just homes. hate going just like when I'm out in the woods or on the river, I just want to be out there, you know, just be out in the, the it, wild. That's your getaway. I, I hate seeing just like traces of just like human contact. And you obviously we're not going to get that in like really populated areas. Like we hunt and fish here, but you know, I just hate this. I couldn't imagine doing that, going out like West or going to Alaska or something. And you just like see all these traces, you know? would just be, be crazy yeah it, like you were saying up in alaska or out west anywhere you go there's always <clears throat> that trace of somebody and whether that trace is you know just footprints and it's usually garbage which is really unfortunate and it's i, I really admire you that you're trying to do something to combat that it's really a great thing you got going on thanks i really appreciate it and i think it's a you know a good start to something good you know because yeah, there's um, there's some other companies out there that are also focused on um, cleaning up uh, out there and everything, and it's awesome. They're all all doing great work and everything. But where where Hunter found that uh, there was a void that needed to be filled was in our area. Um, there's not really many people focusing on uh, the fresh waterways and um, yeah. the rivers and lakes and everything like. Um, salt water you, you see on the uh, social media and everything people doing what they can with that and everywhere else but I mean the Great Lakes are just as important as anything else it's still Earth's, the life Earth's of animals largest and, freshwater bodies system yep. right here in our backyard you know it's just crazy you know I kind of often forget about like how like important the Great Lakes are I don't know if because Lake Erie's kind of like it's kind of like the lesser of the Great Lakes. You know? you take I was granted. thinking that earlier, honestly, when you were like talking about how, like with steelhead fishing, you were like, honestly, I don't really like to fish around here that much anymore. I like to, you know, go up to New York and fish different streams. You know, it's like, you honestly like forget what's right in your backyard. You don't right. even think about it because it's there all and the it's time. it's massive. Like you look oh. at it, it's like an ocean. Like You, you can't oh. see the other side. You cannot see That's it literally, that's, for miles, you can't like, see the other side. You brought some buddies from Williamsport, Nick, didn't you, to uh, the peninsula right in our backyard and what, what yeah, happened Yeah, I did. There? So I... Like I said, I went to school in Williamsport. I brought two buddies home. Uh, Luke took us fishing on his boat. But uh, we went out to the beach, and my buddy Sam, he literally, he's he looks at me, and he's like, that's all fresh water. Like, he could not believe. He's from Jersey, so, I mean, he, he'd never he seen Nick Great Lakes. He thought Nick was lying to him. He thought it was, a, he literally it was an ocean. He just couldn't, like, fathom the idea of that it was all fresh water. And, like, and I just, I think because we live here, we, yeah, uh, I, agree. I we think we take it for granted. granted. Exactly. We take we it do, for granted. We really shouldn't. Like, and if you think, like we were saying, the fresh drinking water, um, the the sport that there is out there, the food that it provides. Also, take a look at uh, Niagara Falls. That's a huge tourist attraction that provides electricity. Well, even like Presque Isle, the, right here. Presque Isle yeah. is a huge tourist attraction. It's beautiful. There's so many things that the Great Lakes provide that is being corrupted just by oh, pollution. Yeah. It, it's seen a lot of environmental impacts for sure and i think we everyone in this area do we just kind of take it for granted and and we, we should i mean fresh water systems like we, we're actually really fortunate to have the largest fresh water systems right here in our backyard anywhere around the world i mean it's the largest in the world and it's it is getting better um we are people are starting to take action but um 
there's regulations now with, I mean, the factories that used to be on all the lake shores and it everything. Didn't, um, the Erie um, Coke plant just get shut down? Erie Coke plant just got They've shut down. They've been pulling the uh, heck out of Erie It was a big time. I'm just going to say it because they, they, uh, they just totally like disregarded all of the fines well, and no, warnings. No, they didn't disregard them. They actually knew that they were um, not being conservation or how, how would you say that like they, they weren't, weren't being as right? green yeah, as they yeah, as, should be as no not as they should be as I mean, legally allowed their, to yeah so, legally they weren't um, allowed to what do they would what do they instead of fixing and investing in what they would have to do to become legal they would set aside money to budget to pay for the fine for the fines that That's they knew literally were coming. worse That's bullshit yeah, yeah, for like this has worse. happened for years. Like they've so been taking the court. There's fish in the lake. If you look, um, people put reports every year, and right, you are only one. supposed to eat so many fish out of the lake per month, because just of because the of waste. the mercury that's in the lake and their size regulations, right different species. It's like one or two meals per month, which is ridiculous. Ridiculous because of neglect to the lake. So I mean, just again, Hunter, with fish gods props yeah thank you and you know be on the look for that and i hope it really takes off to be something that really just makes this world a better place and we're going to start right here in our own backyard and really unify the community and everyone around us yeah we i mean honestly i really hope it expands to the whole country and like you become a nationwide thing i don't want it to just be in our backyard i hope that goes everywhere i hope it goes the whole world me too so i mean we got a lot of work ahead a lot of hurdles to cross here but you know, thanks for having us on the having me on the podcast, and at least get to talk about it. When, when you some, said us, you talked about your partner. Who is your partner? Yeah, How, my partner. Did you get this started with Tyler Waltonbaugh. Um, me and him created the fly fishing club together our freshman year. We just became friends actually over the sport of fly fishing. We both, hey, hey you like to steelhead fish? Yeah, me too. So we started fishing. Hey, we should start this club up together. From there, that kind of started like our business entrepreneurial mindset. And we've created podcasts together. I mean, running the running the um fly fishing club really showed me i, I had a, a niche for business i really enjoyed it and um so we had this idea after we actually both got accepted on the same intern trip with that trout unlimited traveling and fishing across pennsylvania which was just incredible i mean i were from i'm from pennsylvania and i've never seen eastern pennsylvania especially up north we took route six the whole way across and just the fishing and the scenery and just it's almost like a different state over there so if you're from pa and you should really just think about taking a couple weeks off and doing that trip route six will take you the whole way across to stay at state parks and it was incredible but from there on out we realized you know a problem and we should start a business and we submitted it to the ben franklin uh tech accelerator program got accepted and you know, pretty much got a master's course in business in 10 weeks and we ended up winning and university backed us, helped us create a website, logos, everything from start to finish. And we're really moving forward. So looking forward to the future. Yeah, that's a huge accomplishment. I mean, it's, like I said, we just started uh, with White Cat. I mean, we, the idea of White Cat Outdoors came out in 2015 and we covered that in the first podcast. I listened to that podcast and that really made me think of my business. It's, It's crazy one I mean, you guys are entrepreneurs as well, creating uh, White Cat and just saying, like, taking an idea, saying it out loud, and then saying, like, all right, let's do this thing and, you know, following the proper paperwork with the state and just, like, now we really have something going. And it, it's literally just you, you say some words and it turns into a business, which and is crazy. It's, it's not easy to make that happen. You you went through this. You were a college student. Um, you were working at the time you were starting a business I mean you were yeah it's just crazy time of my life I actually had to leave 
uh, my internship, like I was like a month and a half in second time around. I, I do drone flying. I, I worked on the second largest landfill in the United States and talk about seeing how much waste we create every day. We're talking bringing 300 train cars every day and full of trash from some of the eastern states as well as from the state that I was working in. Dump trucks full, just crazy, gigantic landfill. I think it's like 450 acres or something. Yeah, it's the second largest in the world. So I was working out there, fly drones. I do drone analytics, and I was the drone operator uh, doing that kind of stuff. And I had to leave early, and I, I just wanted to follow my dreams, start my own business, and hopefully it leads me to, to many more, and it was definitely worth it. Mm. But, I mean, it, it was tough, man, especially we, in college. We like that it will. It's tough in college when you have class, like four or five classes, homework. You, you got to take some time off to go hunt and fishing. Even, yeah, you just, know, just, just your like, social life to keep it intact and keeping your sanity is tough. And we were also run the fly club, so it's just like we're busy. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Like you have all this stuff going on you know, with your business, and it's we feel it too with us. And I mean, me and Nick are out of college, but Luke and Tom are still in. So me and Nick are planning things, and you know we got to do this, this, and this. And then we realize, oh wait, we have to plan around Luke and Tom going to school and stuff. So right, I mean, right. I'm sure you dealt with a lot of that with gets, you and your partner, and it's just something else going on in your life that makes it more difficult. Yeah. And it's awesome that you're just now still I broke my arm through. too. It's just like you know, life yeah. throws some crazy <laughs> that, things. At that me. one may have been avoidable. <laughs> yeah. It's just, that, it's, I'm retired from arm wrestling. You basically, I mean, it's, you it's, are hanging the gloves up, Hunter. Oh, they're I, hung up for good. I just introduced you into arm you know, wrestling Luke's a couple a bl- months Luke ago. really got me. And he This summer, you know, when I was running around doing all this stuff, and I tell you, it was some of the, the hardest days of my, my life so far, my young life, just really pushing me to do things that made me feel uncomfortable and really just trying new things, creating this business. I had no idea what I was talking about. I was I up tell there you what, I, bullshitting I feel that. these business like Starting coaches. a business, I mean... My grandfather ran his own business, and so yeah, was my dad. Yeah. But like, they've always been—I don't know—like they—they never talked about like what it takes to start a business. And they literally like, like I mean, Frank, your dad also runs his own business, and I don't know if yours is the same way. But my dad doesn't really talk about what it takes. I, I understand it's not a forty-hour week, but it's like, probably more sometimes. Oh no! What, what, I, what I'm, get, yeah, what I'm getting weird. at is like my, my dad, dad doesn't do a nine-to-five. You know, it's some days he's—I've been—he's been at the office till midnight doing sales tax. Like you, he just, you have the crazy. You do what you yeah, it's do. the same thing with my dad. He's sitting here like no matter what time of night his phone rings, he's gonna answer. You know, he's always got clients calling him, and you know, he's. It, you're running a business. You literally always have to be it's available. The biggest side hustle you ever do in your life. You put that nine to five in, whether it's school or work, and then you're 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 working in the mornings. You're working in the afternoons. You're working until two, three a.m. But wait till finals roll around in college, boys. You boy, I'm telling you, once those last month of school, it's tough to just like, all right, I got to put everything aside and focus on the books. So no, that, really, it's a big challenge. It's crazy because, like, I mean, when we when we uh, we started White Cat, we actually me, Tom, and Frank went up to the cabin we built. We sat down. We're like, listen, we've been you know teasing with this idea of White Cat, and it's just kind of been this fun thing um, for a couple of years now. Like, let's let's do something with this. You know, like, what do you want to do with it? So we decided. We talked about it. Decided let's make it official, and. Uh, I just, it's crazy how much time it really does take. I didn't realize it, but I enjoy every bit of it. Um, it's like literally like I work from seven to three thirty, and I mean, on my breaks and on my lunch, I'm doing stuff for white cat. And then when I get home, I'm back on the computer. I do all right. of our editing, uh, for audio purposes. Yeah, I mean like me and Nick, I work four to noon. So, you know, I have a full-time job too. And 
I am always texting Nick during the day, you know, whenever I'm on a break, my lunch break, I call him, I'm like, hey, you know, I just found this out. Or, or I know. had this crazy idea. Exactly. Yeah, you know, we text each other all the time. Cost, it's yeah, I'll 24-7. Text him, like, it's, it's literally crazy. like three in the morning. Frank's texting me. He's like, dude, I got this thing. Like, I got to talk to you about this right now. And it's it's just, it's yeah. well, it's not even just like. Tyler texts me like that all the time. When you're starting a business like this, and like I said, we're very fresh on this. But it's just a constant thing. It's always on my yeah, brain. And when my the ideas come, like you just, crazy. you know, you call your, the people that you're involved with. You know, yep. you have that idea. You call them. You're excited about it. You just call them right away. It's, but it's, I mean, it's a grind and you literally, it's, you're, I'm just so passionate about it. Like yeah, you every are. ounce of time I have outside of like the job I have to work. I'm I'm thinking about well, what, even when you're working, even when I'm working, school, exactly. It's you're consumes literally, you're, your mind. You're thinking it's about white cat all the time. It makes it, but you have to learn. Like I learned to like when I'm in class, I have to shut that off, or I have to shut this stuff. Like it, I have it's a really a big, hard time doing that because like so my tough, brain is. Man, Frank so texts me, but I'll get a text from Frank. He's like, "Do you even work during the day?" Because like I'm constantly blowing up Frank's phone, yeah. like hey, every, all this, day, this, dude. I'm like yeah. thinking different things. I'm like, "Hey, dude, what about this? What about this?" And I mean, we've been fortunate enough. All of our graphic design has been done by my dad it's all yeah, hand drawn which amazing. is like it's been insane i, I really love yeah. that he's super talented we, like we don't go through like a professional graphic designer my dad does all of our graphics which is which pretty, i love i think sick. it's so i give you guys props for actually deciding to do this because like a lot of people have these million dollar ideas or these we should do these great things i mean nothing comes out of you yeah they talk them, about you know? them over beers and yeah you know, after the a few beers and you know the next morning the idea is totally forgotten about i, I know what it's like to go through something like this and you know you're really putting yourself out there socially and I, you know, what I really liked about you guys is you guys like keep it within the family. Your dad works on everything, but you know, from starting my own business, seeing you guys do, it's really I don't know about you, but it gave me appreciation for small business and for the you know the entrepreneurs that are out there hustling every day. So you know, support your small businesses when you can, and you know, really give you know light to these guys if you can. Give them a shout out, White Cat Outdoors on you know their social media platforms if you can, because any little bit helps. And you know, with social media and internet today, I read like it's one of the best times to be an entrepreneur and start something up. Like with your guys as the audience's help, you can be somewhere great in you know six months to a year you know you have to you have to crawl before you you walk and walk before you run but you know you guys could help accelerate that so shout out to them and hopefully you guys take that advice yeah and we've been we've been working on that trying to get our name out there and everything and like you guys were saying with how you put your heart and soul into it and at work you're thinking about it uh i plan i'm going to college at edinburgh like uh they were saying earlier and i also work so I wake up, I go to uh, work, go to school, go to school, go to work, and uh, I actually planned my schedule so that uh, I had time to do this company. I took online classes because um, what what am I doing at uh, 11 at night? Well, usually I'm sleeping, so I'm sacrificing some of that time to uh, get my college classes in and uh, sacrificing sleep and making um, cuts in my life to make this happen because I do believe it can be something great. So right. yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, even like before we made it like an official business and everything, I went, like I said, down to Williamsport, I, I made my schedule. So I only had to go to class four days a week. I literally, I, I had class from 8am to 10pm Monday through Thursday. I took night classes. I had a, an hour and a half break throughout the day and that was it. I was straight in class for three and a half years. I, I mean, not to brag, but I graduated a semester early, Look got out you, of it. You and you're so woo. cool, Nick. 
You can when literally you say not to brag. I, I think when, during bow season, I literally I was as soon as class is over, ten o'clock at night on Thursday, I was heading to camp. I was getting out in the woods, trying to get it done. Uh, while I was in college, actually, I had my best success in the woods when I was in college because yeah. I had that feeling of I got to get it done now. And I basically I was I was killing the first buck that came in. But I just had this. Just real, got lucky enough that I it was the biggest lucky. buck every time. Dude, every time for three years <coughs> in a row, the first buck that I encountered was the my next biggest mm-hmm. buck, and you, you can't turn down your best buck. It's just not right. something you do. And while I was in college, it just worked out. So I think like said, it's just, it's crazy. crazy. Like once you put your mind to something, and that it's 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 a passion, it's a dream, and I, I we couldn't stand to just like keep it as an idea anymore. We had to make it legit. We had to share it with people. And I'm just grateful that like I work with guys that were just as passionate about it as we are, and I'm sure you, you feel the same. Awesome, thing. And I'm, I'm sure you, you feel the same thing with fish gods. Oh yeah, it, you know it's just it's just a crazy concept, honestly. So like I said, the biggest thing I came out of is like you know anything you put your mind to, you can do you, as long as you have a passion for it, you're dedicated to it, and you know you put your heart and soul to it, it will happen. You know it's just take, you know time. You know time takes exactly time. Takes time. time. Right now, like I mean. We're just we're doing it because we love it. I mean, right. that's the biggest thing. We're passionate about it. I don't really. It's not about you know. Obviously, we're not making any money doing this. We're actually losing money as we speak. Oh, it's, it's that's a, not it's why always a downward investment. Yeah, it's, it's not. It's not why we're here. We're, we're literally like, we just enjoyed it, and we just enjoy talking about the outdoors. Like oh, b- yeah. that was my biggest idea when we decided to do the podcast. I'm sitting there like we talk about hunting, fishing, trapping, constantly. I'm like, why aren't we just recording it? Like awesome idea. It's just it's White Cat Outdoors. I mean, you can't be- get a better podcast than this right the here. Please White share cat. this with your friends. The White Cat Outdoors. It's just it's, I, it was it was, too late. And that's another thing. Like a big a driving factor for why we started the podcast is like all of the hunting podcasts and outdoor podcasts are so like a niche thing where it's always fishing or it's always hunting, um, and there's there's not one out there that just covers the outdoors. And most of us in this room we don't just hunt we don't just fish we like to be outdoors all times of the year and they're just there was there was a hole in podcasts right we're like i'm sorry when it's spring gobbler i don't really care about buck hunting i want to go out yeah, there and kill wanna, gobblers we don't hear about no big old 11 buck time walking through the pines yeah you know? exactly i want to talk about killing gobblers smoking swamp turkeys you know and chickens you go out in the gym or out in june like i'm sorry i don't want to talk about turkeys anymore i'm out catching rattlesnakes I'm going to go out there and do that. Which it, is badass, by the way. You boys really impressed me with that rattlesnake hunting this year. Dude, there's going to be a podcast for sure specifically for rattlesnake hunting, and you should definitely come with us this year. I, it is I hope so to come fun. this year. It's, it's wild. Once no, you get I healed do up hate over snakes, there, but I'm coming. But our year. one buddy, real good friend of mine, I've known him my whole life, Jared Larson. At Let Fly on Instagram. Yes, let, check him out. Great guy. I think there's but three whys. He, who knows how many whys. I've been asking why my whole life, but <laughs> yeah, jeez. Anyway, hey boy, I think I think the rut must be heating up. Did you guys hear that buck snort? I think jeez. it came from my right, maybe. That was Tom. We're just gonna call that out. <laughs> anyway, so but Jared was the same way. He was deathly afraid of snakes, and we talked and we're like, dude, just come out, watch us. You know, do it's our not thing what you think. Bit. That's it's, I mean, that's the biggest thing. I think yeah. rattlesnakes get a huge 
misconception on what they are. They are the yeah. most docile animals I've ever handled myself. Mm. And they we really, won't get too far into it right now, but like you were saying, like you really want to get out there, but you're afraid of snakes. And our one buddy was like, never ever touch snakes and hate them suckers. He started hanging out. You know, he's like, you know what? I'm gonna do it, and Basically, he had a blast. You drink it. a snake bite the night before, and you're clear. We, it, it's a proven fact. I don't want to get into it because that's a whole podcast on its own. So, snake well, bites. I'm looking forward to the rattlesnake podcast coming up. Also, I would like. To, I I hope you guys do like an Alaskan feature on Frank's. That's funny you say that because two weeks is here. Yeah, you better you, let them know. Weeks? Yeah, let them know. <laughs> California. Two, two weeks. Look up. But uh, the Harrisburg show, um, my dad and I are running a booth down there for Alaska Lead Outfitters. Book a hunt. Yeah, if you feel like it, if you got you a few extra grand a, laying listen, around. If you want to smack a big old moose, hunt of your lifetime. It's over a 50% chance. Yeah, I'm saying, I'm saying 70%. Year. Better than coin flip. Yeah, better than, better than most things in your life. You have a better chance of shooting a moose with Frank than you do anywhere else in the world. I mean, if you think about everything in life, it's a 50-50 chance. It's either it happens or it doesn't. Like exactly. We're talking 70 you don't. 50-50. So, yeah, yeah, but anyway, <laughs> like we, like I was saying, you know, we're going to be at the Harrisburg show, and Nick's, Nick, I'm sure Tom's going to be down there. Oh, absolutely. You bet your bottom dollar I'll be there. Tom's got his bottom dollar out. Um, so we're going to probably know, do a couple a, dollars on top of that, but... <laughs> the bottom one is dollars. on being in Harrisburg. So, you know, we're all going to do a podcast. My dad's going to be on mm-hmm. it, hopefully. I haven't talked to him about it yet, but I'll make him do well, it. He's in. He's, he's in. for sure in. If I know Frank's dad, like, as good as I think I do, he's, he's I imagine he's a probably a pretty good outdoorsman. Probably the best outdoorsman. He's got 20-plus yeah. yeah. years of experience yeah. on the Alaskan frontier. Yeah, Come. I'm not even joking. Like, I've met a lot of people in my life, and I'm sure Nick and Tom have met a lot of outdoorsmen in their life. A few. My dad is hands down the smartest outdoorsman I've ever met in all aspects of it. You know, he can, he, everything I know pretty much has been taught to me by him. Like he, he's, he's incredible. We're actually uh, recording in uh, Frank's house and uh, his dad's house. So in the room we're recording in, I'm, I mean, there's just moose. There's go moose. around the room. Yeah, tell yeah, them what we've got surrounding by us. Around the wall, there is a black bear. I mean, fisher, um, rattlesnakes, caribou, whitetail. There's there's an elk. There's a muskie. There's even there's a walrus elk. on I mean, the wall. Say, there's literally there walrus, walrus tusks. <laughs> yeah, he there's walrus tusks uh, and a whale, whale tooth. A whale tooth. A caribou I mean, up there. He has and most of this stuff in here. I mean, the whale tooth. Um, obviously not. Um, but he wrestled the, it with his the rest hands. of the stuff it, in here is harvested from Frank's dad. Whether it's um, fishing, trapping, hunting, like everything in here, he's just all around. If we need something about the outdoors, mm-hmm. Frank's dad's. Hey, got we the can't answer. give all the the credit to Frank's dad though, because we got two stud bucks sitting over on the bar here. They they they, they look all right over there, and, and that one right I was there, told that, Frank, that Pope and Young one right there, that one's we have mine a too. Two and a half year old PA whitetail over one forty. That's a two-and-a-half-year-old buck. I mean, obviously, on the wow. podcast, you can't see it. But when we got the age back on that, I was in, like... I mean, it wasn't surprising, but at the same time... I was time, surprised. But... I mean, that's, uh, a, and, that's a stellar buck right there. Oh, right? absolutely. You're talking, even, your, even your pistol buck this year, like... Actually, yeah, you know, but, Tom's but, got a good point here. We're talking buck but, stories. Well, before we get on to the next buck story... There is one buck story that needs to be talked about while Hunter's sitting in the room with us, and that is how Hunter won the first annual buck pool... 
for White Cat Outdoors. I did. This is a crazy story. Before we get to the, literally before? two seconds before that, Let's hear it I'm just going to like we were saying before, we're going to be at the Harrisburg show. So come visit us at the booth, Alaska Lead Outfitters, and me, Nick, Tom, and hopefully Dad, for sure Dad, are going to do a podcast breakdown of how Dad got into Alaska, how he got me into Alaska, all the guiding stories that we have. You know, it's going to be a good time. Look it up. It'll be probably in a couple weeks, so keep an eye out for it. But now that I got the shout out out. That was way more than two seconds. Dude, you know, that's called hyperbole, hyperbole. We got metaphors, hyperperboles, everything. Anyway, back to Hunter with his winning the first, of the annual. first annual White Cat Outdoors Buck Pool. Yeah, well, Hunter, take us away, buddy. All right, so I'm, I'm over the Sebleskis this summer, and, you know, they go, hey, we have this, we're doing this buck pool this year, a bunch of guys, you want in? It's like a couple bucks. I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. And it's like the first day of school is coming around. I run into Tom. He's like, hey, you still want to do that buck pool? I'm like, yeah, here, I got the money right here. I'll just give it to you. Thinking, uh, you know, I'm, I think I'm in my third year of college. I've been hunting this property for two years now. And I'm sure with you being in school, you're like, eh, I'm probably not even going to have a whole lot of time to even hunt. Exactly. I don't really, we haven't really got the property down yet, but I was feeling good this year. Me and my roommate, we've been hunting it. We got some trail cams out. We started patterning deer. I knew there was good bucks because the neighboring property, the guy I'm friends with him, he puts in soybean plot. He has a ton of deer come out. He shows me the sheds he finds, and I've trail cammed some nice studs. But, you know, I was like, all right, I'm not going to have a lot of time to hunt, but, you know, what the heck, let's try it. And I think at this point there was a little over 25 other people already signed up for this buck pool. Yeah, and I I guess I'll just give a quick breakdown on what our buck pool is. We do two separate buck pulls. You have the uh, standard buck pull. You know, you put 10 bucks in, and the biggest buck wins the money. Points plus width is our criteria. Yeah, yeah, points plus the spread. And uh, then we also do a lottery, and basically you put in your money. We draw out of a hat, and whoever gets the first buck, if you drew their name for the lottery, you win the money. But Hunter here won the standard buck pool with the biggest buck turned in in the first annual white cap. Yeah, I think it was, so it's mid-October. My, I've went out once before this. Passed on a small, that was a small, it was a really nice basket rack buck. And my roommate, where he usually hunts, he he doesn't see too many buck, and I was like, this would be a perfect buck, you know. Turns out, next night, he shoots it. Awesome experience, and it's so pumped up for him. And then I finally sneak out within finals is approaching. We have a lot of things going on. Um, we It's like midterms that's coming up and then finals. And you have just these, these big projects. My one class was for soils was this huge final project. I was working working on that in mid of October. So I snuck out, finally got in the stand. And as soon as it breaks day, I'm hunting these hardwoods. And I can see this buck coming right right to the setup. And he comes in. And I draw back as he's behind this big oak, and I, I get ready. He steps out, perfect broadside, and he steps steps towards me, and I stop him. And I took that quartering two did you shot. Do the classic, man. I did stop the. Him. I did the. I was shaking pretty bad. I had buck fever, so I went, Matt. <laughs> A little bit of quiver if, in the if voice. You're not, quiver. If you're not shaking, you're not. You shouldn't be in the woods. I'm telling right. you. I don't. I. I've, I've videotaped Tom before. And we've had four points, you know, that's not even legal in Pennsylvania. And Tom is shaking like crazy with this buck. Yeah, he like, literally can't oh. control himself. Like, if there is a heartbeat out there, Tom, <laughs> he can't control There's himself. Seeing this buck come across the hardwoods, I mean, I was, I'm shaking as he's 80 yards out. Like, 
I knew I was in trouble. Like Probably the felt fever like an set in. Yeah, and he stepped, but he gave me that quarter and two shot. I mean, perfect quarter and two shot. And a lot of hunters think that's really risky. I mean, it's a tough shot. And I, I mean, if you practice enough and you're confident, right. yeah, if you trust your abilities with your bow, I mean, there's not very many shots that aren't something you should never take. But like, I'm sure you shoot your bow plenty. You know, we shoot all. My, I've been shooting the same bow since. You know, senior year of high school. So obviously, you know your bow pretty well. I know well. this you bow. Know how well, you're not rocking that diamond anymore. No, uh, actually, I'm shooting the Matthews. I think it's Matthews Monster. And I love the Monster Series Matthews. Oh, I think it's the first one, first Monster Series or second. It's it's a great bow. I mean, I probably would never need to buy a new bow the rest of my life. But so I know this bow in and out. I've been practicing. Me and my roommate went to the Potter County Bow Hunters Festival. We probably shot know 500 arrows out there I was feeling like I could you know take this shot I mean he's only 15 yards perfect and I stopped him I took the shot and where he went and crashed up I, I heard him crash I mean he only went no kidding 10 15 yards like freaking smoked him smoked him it, this was all self-filmed wasn't it too buddy yeah so I, I'm in pretty actually that's first I've heard that you self-filmed for the I, I didn't know that either I did I did I, I'll show you the video after this podcast um, Would you care if we posted the video? You can post the video, yeah. We'll def- we'll leak it. Link the video. I'm actually going to edit the hunt, whole hunt series here. Uh, once I'm we excited get a little for bit that. Time. I, I love, I've only got one buck self-filmed. The other one was, yeah, actually the 140 that Frank killed was self-filmed. And my buck that I killed at uh, the Shars camp, which we'll get, it, I'm sure we'll have a Shar on, on the podcast eventually. Uh, I killed a buck there that was self-filmed. Not your uh, standard hunt, but it, Got it a worked buck. out. It worked out, to say yeah. the least. It's something that, about that's filming, so though, cool that you self film. Awesome. It's it adds a whole new aspect. Yeah, I was Especially, really into it's it. It's a whole new level of difficulty too. It's one more thing that you have to consider and worry about when you have that camera right there. You're like, you know, the buck's coming in. You're like, okay, he's coming to my lane. I got to stop him just right. You know, I'm drawn yep. back, and then you're you're thinking well, in the back little, of your head. I did a little hack this year. So uh, for it, the you longest about leak, time, you about to leak a little thing. Yeah, here? here's a little another, a, stop a, right another, there. Write it in. Thank pen. you. Get the write it out. in pen this right is, now. Okay, we're gonna have to do a new segment here, and this one was actually suggested by another one of our friends. Shout right? her out. Her because name she is deserves it. Shaylee Dillon, great gal. But she suggested that we do this. You know, Luke did it earlier with the carp recipe, and we right did now. it a couple times in the first episode. The write it in pen, and we're just gonna have to make it. You know, just That's like it. the smoke break. It's not going to be a weekly thing, but we're going to do it often. Hunter, write, write it, it in, in pen. pen. Tell us, you right now, self-filming, that one tip that would you would write in pen. Okay, so for the longest time, I was big into the self-filming. Trying to film my hunts, I was filming and fishing. And I got a camcorder. And, and then I ended up going to a DCLR. And, I mean, it, it, it adds a whole level of difficulty to your hunt. Better, better video quality, but so the trick is, I decided I was going to sell my camera after doing some investigation into the new iPhone and the capabilities that it had with its camera, especially with the wide angle lens. So I ended up selling all my camera stuff. I ended up getting the new iPhone and I was like, I'm just going to film. That's the every- one with three cameras. Three cameras, yeah. That's wicked. And I was like, I'm going to film that everything is on my two iPhone. Two more than the average iPhone. <laughs> and uh, you can my actually get. Actually, has two, Nick. That's you can get great that's video quality. <laughs> Duh. Especially with that third third camera. Great video quality out of the... Especially the newer iPhones. 
and I decided I'm just gonna film solely with the iPhone. And from there on out, I sold my camera. I bought a mount for my. I was, gonna, my bow. I was just about to ask that how you're filming with your f- yeah. cell phone. And it, it works almost as a like a gimbal. It, it keeps everything stable, steady. You can get the cinematic shots. And you say then, it's mounted to your bow. Yeah, right. Um, right to the quiver. You said gimbal. I, the only gimbal I know is from the movie Elf. I, I don't know what gimbal is. What, what? Isn't that the thing that's inside the turkeys that you put in the stuffing? No, it's just for it's, for it's it's for Giblets. filming. It stabilizes your Gizzard, your Gizzard. camera. Yeah. <clears throat> it's something Tomato something tomato. awesome to get for the iPhone, but it, it it's it's so stable on the bow quiver. I mean, there's no shaking really unless you have the buck fever. But you can really get good cinematic we shots and that. everything. And so is it a specific quiver that has this attachment? No, or is it pretty I, universal? All I did was, this is crazy, I ordered from Amazon, and it came the night before I decided to go out hunting that morning. It was meant to be. It, was it, it to sounds be. like it was just laid out. The red carpet yep. was there. I tested it out in my living room in my apartment, drew back, checked it out, and it's really cool. You can really film yourself by holding your bow out. And then, Do you dry fire your bow a couple times to see what it would do when <laughs> yep. you uh, when you Shatter the it? cams. Just... <laughs> Rack them, but yeah. So I decided to film with the iPhone only from here on out for a while until I have enough money to invest into another camera. But honestly, this iPhone can just shoot amazing, amazing footage. And that deer was out there twenty yards, like as he's running. You can see him coming the whole way. And this is just your iPhone, like it's just incredible. So that's the little hack right there. Yeah, that's an awesome little budget tip. You know, that's a great write it and pen tip. You a know, lot of for people already have an iPhone. Exactly. Right. You don't have to like. So instead some of idiot buying a camera, sitting to my right, spend yeah. a bunch of money on a camera. You know, if you don't have the money to buy that camera, everyone's got a phone, and you know, write it in pen. Right there, it is with Hunter. There it is. So yep, uh, iPhone video quality. Well, uh. We've been That's at perfect. it for, I don't know what, probably around an hour or so. I mean, I'd say over an hour. Over an hour. Well, uh, go around the table. I mean, I don't think anyone else has anything else we need to cover for today, do we? Well, did you, you give us the recovery of that buck before oh, we go away? Well, you'll have to check the video out once I edit it, but pretty shaken up. I shoot this deer, quarter and two, may it get down. I heard him crash up. It's hardwoods, goes right to a thicket. You can't see in the thicket. Step down, go check out where I shot him. No arrow, no blood. Holy smokes, what did I just do? You know, did I make the wrong choice? All right, I'm going to take a few steps. I'm going to go just walk right in the thicket where I heard him crash up and see if he's laying there. No shit. Take three steps, and I just see a big old white belly laying, run up there, and there he is. I just see, you know, big rack laying in the woods and picked him up, and he turned out to be a really nice seven point, so... I, I apologize. I was I stepped out for a second there. Did you talk about the attire you were wearing on this hunt? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a bit. That's an important thing. If this you is. Check I mean, out this is Instagram. extremely cool to me. So that's I had to bring it up. Yeah, it's we had we posted the buck on our Instagram actually. So if you want to get you know the full picture down, it's back a couple of months, obviously in archery season. But look for here's a the big story. buck alert. It's one of the first big buck alerts we have of the season. So I had this inspiration from. Um, Jeremiah Johnson and you know a couple of them old timers wearing these old hats. And I'm like, yo, you know what? I got this old hat my great grandpap gave me before he passed away. I was like, I'm gonna wear this all hunting season. And I put that's a turkey, freaking cool, man. I put a that's, turkey feather in chills. there, and I was like, we're gonna do this. And I ended up shooting one of my one of my best. I'd say it's probably my third or fourth best 
archery buck. That's all. And it's funny you say that about the hat because me, Nick, and Tom, you know, the that first, was long like, before White Cat was oh, even yeah, thought. Of. I was just gonna say that, like from day one, when, like I said in the first podcast, the first time we said White Cat Outdoors out loud, Nick and Tom and me, we all like for ice fishing, for archery hunting, for rifle, we all bought you know the same hat. So every season we had the same hat. You know, we're all. What are those hats for each season? Give them the rundown, starting at archery, because that's... Well, actually, turkey. Let's start at turkey, because we'll that's the beginning turkey. of the year. All right, you got the boonie hat. You know, I'm, I don't know if everybody knows what a boonie hat. I don't really know how to describe it. It's uh, like... Think of a it's like a hat, hat from the boonies. a brim. All the way all around. All the way around. And it's floppy. With you an got, attached face mask. Yeah, attached face. That's the most important part. Classic you got to drop that face mask. mask down for when you're turkey hunting. Tom, and I just... Real quick... Tom's has got some sentimental value to his. It's not just one we purchased. It's actually a, a boonie hat that my father has worn. My dad's hunted turkeys all over the Midwest. Um, he's killed, you know, Rios, Easterns, Merriams. Um, he's got some crazy stories with turkey that I'm not going to leak because I'm going to talk him into getting on this cast, the, the podcast. And... <laughs> But basically, <laughs> Sorry, uh, Nick the same on hat too. my dad killed his first long beard in is the same hat that I wear when I go turkey hunting. Yeah. So Did you kill your like first that, long beard in this hat? I have yet to kill a long beard, but I plan on killing my first long beard wearing this hat. But so, I mean, Tom has like killed that, lots of birds. Yeah, he he's killed a lot of small birds. Actually, put me on my daily double I got with Grimaldi. That's a fact. So that was pretty cool. I may no. not kill a lot of birds. But I have called in. I'm not to brag or anything. I will vouch for this because Tom and I hunt together a lot. You got Trevor Coon, his first gobbler, on as well. On, I'm on, not even gonna say it. On Frank's dad's lease. We'll just yikes. We'll say that. <laughs> they knew I was there. Long Didn't think you'd be killing birds like you were. I think but. we're gonna have to do another podcast. Yeah, I want to hear a, a podcast. podcast. On. Bottom line is, hunt. not to brag, I think I'm a pretty decent turkey caller. I've gotten, I've called turkeys in for quite a few different people. And Especially my favorite story is the guy that you ran into behind the house and you called a turkey in for him and he didn't shoot. Yeah, that was a little bit of your Can you just quick run down to that? Because he's probably never going to end up don't, on a podcast. Don't even get way into it. I don't want to get like super off topic because yeah. we're still on Hunter's hat over here. I was just trying to give oh. a quick rundown. Yeah. Of everything. So. Anyway, so boonie hats for turkey season. <laughs> Archery hat. We got our visors with like the Guy little, Fury hat. Yeah, exactly. it, they're with they're like pretty the, sweet. The spiked fake hair. fake hair in the middle. Ice fishing. We got our Mad Bombers hat. And of course, for muzzleloader season, since in Pennsylvania it starts the day after Christmas, we wear our Santa oh, hats. Oh, you skipped oh. rifle season oh, though. My bad. And for rifle season, we have orange laws and PA. Blaze orange fedoras. They look pretty sexual. So now that we've given you the rundown on our hats, we and didn't how mean important to interrupt you. Your hat is to your hunting. Yeah, it's very important. very important. Hunter, please so tell us the importance hat of your hat. It's probably from the 30s or the 40s. I, I don't know what what you what do you call that hat? It just looks like a 
Mm, like a it's almost fedora. like, it's almost like a fedora. It's, it's not a fedora. It, though. Yeah, it's, it's it's shaped there's moderately a, I, similar, there's a, there's but it looks a, like a mo- like something a mob in, in to between it. of a cowboy hat and a fedora. It's like a lawyer cowboy. If you want to see it, just follow us just on Instagram. There you go, and you'll At be able to see this outdoors. hat firsthand. So Boom. I wore that all hunting season, muzzleloader season. I call it my mountain man hat, but. So I put a well, that's what it is. That is a mountain man's hat. Yep. In rifle season, I put a little orange cap over it, and so we were legal and hunted the heck out of that this season. That's cool as hell. I it's just like I'm all about like your vintage camo and stuff, and most of mine doesn't have a ton of sentimental values like yours does. But I do have a turkey vest that my grandfather Hold killed his grandson. No, shut up about that. Talk about your bibs, cowboy. Okay. Those things well, are ridiculous. Cowboy we'll get into Nick. my bibs. So. I am not what you would consider a youth large anymore. I am twenty. I am thirty five years old. I, <laughs> I am no. divorced. So, I got a pair of bibs for Christmas when I was probably like twelve, and uh, they're a youth large. They're Cabela's. They're like snow pants, super insulated, super warm. And every like I said, I'm. This is ten years now. I've been sneaking into these bad boys when we go hunting, and every year. I tell Frank, I'm like, this is the last year I'm going to get myself into these because it's just, they're getting a little too tight. They're starting to look ridiculous. You know, I, I'm they typically... They started to look ridiculous about seven years ago. I said, I wear an XL for most, like, generic sizes. Aren't, for, aren't those bibs XLs, though? Youth. Youth large. XL. Youth, youth large. Youth versus men. Okay, that's a Just give you difference. an idea. Tom, Tom dates this girl, Carly, and... She fits in to these. She is like five six, five seven, maybe a buck thirty, soaking wet, and they fit her perfectly. I'm like a buck two forty, without <laughs> one I mean, buck two. That's after that's after a sauna, and I've dried out. And uh, the uh, th- those bibs, they went. You know, bibs are supposed to come up above your chest. You know, right. they look. They're they're down to my waist. They went now. from bibs to pants, but they still got the straps. It's like a pants suspenders combo, and I still get into them. And I've never killed anything wearing them because I only put them on for muzzleloader. And uh, like I said, I'm all about you know. There's something. I don't, there's actually no sentimental value to those at all. Really, I don't know why but I put myself through it. It's all about because it's. Tradition. I can't even get my hands in my pockets. It's tradition. It's tradition. And let, it, let us know uh, on uh, YouTube or Instagram or something if you guys got any funny traditions that you do for fishing or hunting or whatever that, that you swear by that get you get you your you. Luke, do it's you actually, have any fishing traditions is the question. We need to get you like a hat that, or something. That's going to have to be on a, on a separate podcast. Right. Well, got, we should de- actually, there secrets. could be a really cool podcast about just traditions in the hunting and, hunting and fishing, you know, because I think – Every single group of people that hunt have some sort of tradition or weird yeah. thing they do, whether it's, whether it's a snake bite or, or who knows. There's all kinds of things. Meeting at hunting camp every year on the same weekend or something like right. there's there's always something and and that's what makes it fun. Even fish getting to bed early before opening day a gun. Absolutely, that's a, that is something we take very seriously up at the Morrison Farm. For those of you that don't know, Tom, his favorite thing in the world, like more than anything is to be ridiculously hung over for the first day of rifle. It's honestly a skill I've acquired over the past 
several years is getting all tuned up the night before. Could you please say tuned? Tuned. Getting tuned up, like tuned in to the White Cat Outdoors podcast. Getting tuned up the night before and still managing to find your way out to the tree stand opening morning. It's a grind. It is. It is a grind. It's no. something I pride myself in. Not many people can do it. I, Not to shout out, but my one buddy Trevor, he he can't get all tuned up the night before and only once a week yeah once a week he's a there's seven a, days in a week trevor can handle one of them yeah but even after that he's not getting up to hunt the next day. actually speaking of real quick trevor we had him up at camp this camp that me and tom and frank and our fathers <coughs> helped build uh from scratch we uh brought trevor up there we were trying to get him his first buck and he did get his first buck in rifle season but while we were there for bow season uh i was on a five point out of my one tree stand that I hunt religiously. And I told Trevor, I'm like, listen, if you just go to my tree stand, he is, he's guaranteed to walk by there about like an hour after daylight. He's going to walk right through there. Like he's, there's two pieces of bedding. He walks through every day. We get Trevor up there. He has a little too much fun. He wasn't feeling well the next morning. And, uh, he over so for I was the like, lapers. You know Chocolate rain. <laughs> I'm totally sorry unrelated. To, I'm sorry to interrupt your uh, chocolate rain. Uh, I actually got to get heading out, guys, but uh, I had an awesome time talking with you, Hunter. Again, on your company, congrats. I'm sure I'll see you in the next couple of days after you heal up a little bit and uh, do some fishing. Maybe some arm uh, wrestling? Yeah, uh, when you heal up, yeah, I'll, I'll break His the left arm is still strong. Yeah, we can go lefty. They Doctors say you heal up. Uh, Twice as strong when a bone breaks. So, so all you know, I'll, I'll again are slim to none. But uh, I think Nick I'm retired. Tom, for uh, as we uh, listen, we'll see together, you, Luke. Thank I'll, you for uh, stepping I'll in. Probably see you uh, tonight. And uh, Frank, always good time talking with you. So uh, I'll see you guys later. Luke, I'll catch you on the flip. Catch you on the flip, buddy. Luke, hey, make sure you're getting outside. Always, Hunter, Nick, Frank. Everyone left me hanging, so I was just clapping. That, yeah, those were high fives. But uh, anyway, so Trevor slept in. He didn't make it to the stand, so I decided to hunt the stand I recommended to him. And I sent him a picture of that buck at 15 yards. Like, it's, it was right there. I'm like, Trevor, it could have been yours. And I thought about waxing that fool. And I couldn't do it. That was Trevor's buck. And I'm pretty confident that uh, he did get it in rifle season. He had broken off a side, but I'm pretty sure it was the same buck. Yeah, I'm almost certain it was the same. And whether it was a half rack, a five point, whatever it was, it was his first buck, so it was really something special we for him. We partied like rock stars, and we had a delicious cuisine set up for that evening. That's a tradition we have here at it White Cat Outdoors. It was a cuisine fit for Gordon Ramsay. It was. I'm talking inside. The lamb sauce was there. Inside tenderloins and venison. Tenderloins. Tenderloins. And buck grand. Buck heart, potatoes, carrots, onions, you name it. It was in there. Mix it up in a pan. Pour some Jenny beer on it. You're giving away another smoke break. What are you doing, cowboy? My bad. Forget it. We didn't talk about it. Was it was delish. Hope you wrote that in pencil. Luke, I thought you left. Uh, I, I was leaving, but I heard Tom uh, leaking some content. So uh, if 
if you're in pencil, erase that or pen, scribble it out. Well, it has been a long podcast, so it was almost time for another smoke break. But we're going to save it for the next Needless guy. to say, Trevor can't bark with the big dogs. He meows, he with, meows the kittens. with the kittens. He can't drink all night, hunt big bucks in the morning. But your host, Tom, he knows how to bark with the big dogs, drink beer all night, and hunt big bucks in the morning. That's Tom for you. And uh, when you asked why I was coming back, uh, I also, uh, I forgot, I'm Hunter's ride. So uh, I got to stick around for a little bit longer here. Oh, man. We're, we're pretty close to wrapping things up. So, yeah, it's, uh, where is Hunter, by the way? Obviously, if you're on the podcast, you didn't know that Hunter left. He's but, been uh, drinking some beers, so he's probably going to take a squeege. Yeah, he's uh, he's going to see a man about a wallaby. And we're back. Hunter's back. Everybody's back. Luke's gone. Uh, so peace. not everybody's back. Yeah, so Luke had to peace out. Uh, this podcast went a lot longer than we thought, but all the same, it was a really good podcast, and I wasn't about to cut it off. Um, like I said, we're getting ready to wrap up here, like Frank said. Uh, Hunter, it's been an absolute honor to have you on the podcast. You're our first guest, which is insane to have you as like the first guest i mean that's something we're always going to be able to talk about it's been a blast and thanks for having me on guys it, it was really just a, a really fun time overall and I, I hope to be back on and talk some more about hunting fishing and the great outdoors and i just uh i gotta ask if there, if there was one thing you could leave our listeners with being that our, you're our first podcast if you could you know sign us off as for one one thing to leave the listeners with what would it be Oh, let me think about this one here. Well, I'd say one thing for our for your listeners to take it. Well, the I have two, thousands of listeners. Two we things. Have. The most two important lessons I'd say from this podcast and what I've learned is one, you know, support local business, help out your uh, your local entrepreneurs in their journey to uh, where they're headed, and you know, give them shout outs, especially social media. You know, give these guys you know some good light on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever you can do to to help grow White Cat and. Uh, the second thing is, is if you're an outdoorsman, if you're not, just really uh, take conservation into heart and take care of uh, our environment, our earth, and the woods that we all cherish as outdoorsmen. You know, our rivers, our, our mountains, our, our woods. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's I'd say, the most two important lessons. Thanks, Hunter. Like you said, uh, give us a follow on Instagram at White Cat Outdoors. We're on YouTube, White Cat Outdoors, uh, com. You can uh, check us out. We've got a little bit of a write-up on all of our hosts and all of our podcasts are on there as well as long as spotify spreaker um, podbean we're working on getting apple and uh, google iHeartRadio, different things like that but uh like i said we're we're big into the outdoors hunters big into the outdoors and uh, we're just want to make sure that everybody's with us on that and we're all getting outside <laughs>